Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting to over 60 countries from the middle of the third most important centre in the world for entrepreneurs and startups and angels and VCs and incubators. And that's Silicon Beach in Los Angeles, California. This is where technology and entertainment intersect. And I want to thank you for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. I really do appreciate it. Now, you've probably been in a number of heated debates in the past, probably none more fierce than this year with the ludicrous Donald Trump run for president. But this is probably nothing compared to the screaming debates you're likely to have in the future. So if you think gun control or gay marriage are pretty controversial subjects, you really ain't seen nothing yet. For example, do you value your privacy? Will you celebrate the death of privacy or will you fight its demise tooth and nail till the very end? Well, it all started with Google Glass. Now, Google Glass is a wearable computer that looks essentially like a pair of glasses and you control it with your eyes. So with a wink of an eye, it's capable of taking pictures or taking video or doing a trillion other absurdly clever things. And it and products like it are about to make society a whole lot more complicated. The problem's compounded by facial recognition technology. Now, studies have shown that this technology can already pick people out from a crowd and pull up almost anything on them from Facebook pictures to social security numbers to LinkedIn profiles and pretty much everything you've ever put up on the web. And with the right lenses, it can recognise you from about a mile away. So it obviously has huge potential for abuse, but more than that, it probably will mean the end of your privacy. In the not-too-distant future, you'll have a world where everybody who passes you in the street will instantly know who you are and will know everything about you. From deeply personal things that you've tried so hard to keep to yourself, to the painfully embarrassing episodes that make you shrink into a corner whenever you think of them. What if they also have access to your address and phone numbers? The average person in the street, the people you work with, a potential date, the police, taxation inspectors, potential employees, employers, they'll all be privy to all the very stuff you probably wouldn't want strangers to know. To me, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. Well, it's on its way to invading your space sometime soon when somebody combines facial recognition software with a wearable computer like Google Glass, and then it'll probably become a reality very quickly. 
when that happens, which side of the bait are you going to be on? There are sure to be people who want transparency and want it all out there on the table. There will be others who want to keep all their shit secret, like me, for example. People who don't want everybody to know their business. So this subject's going to make for one hell of an argument and make the fight that you're currently having with some moron that you know who thinks Trump will be good for the country look like a kindergarten scrap. So I suggest you get ready now for what will probably be the mother of all ethical debates. And here's another one. As you know, there's a huge worldwide debate over the fate of refugees fleeing from Syria, Libya and Iraq. Millions of people are fleeing and setting up refugee camps, others trying to escape in boats, many of them unseaworthy, just trying to find somewhere to live and to escape the bombs and gunfire day and night. Now, governments in Europe have been fantastic but are now being overrun, while countries like the US, Australia and New Zealand appear to be doing very little. Unfortunately, they seem to be falling for the illogical rhetoric of Trump and fellow haters, afraid that every Muslim's a terrorist so we should let them rot in the desert. However, if you're rightly concerned now about the well-being of these nine million refugees are engaged in animated discussions with friends who, for some narrow-minded, ignorant reason, don't want to help them, Rest assured that the refugee crisis has really not yet begun. Now, even if you are one of those moronic head-in-the-sand climate deniers who dismiss the views of 99% of the world's scientists who thinks man-made climate change is real, it's absolutely impossible to deny that the planet is definitely getting warmer. Right now, we're on a course for a catastrophic temperature rise, which is predicted to almost certainly flood entire countries. So at the moment, we've got all hell breaking loose all over the world, over 9 million refugees. But with a 2 degree temperature rise, which is predicted in the near few years, over 500 million people will be displaced. 500 million, including millions in the United States. With a four-degree increase that many are predicting, we are looking at over 2.5 billion refugees. Makes the 9 million at the moment sound pretty paltry, doesn't it? With a four-degree rise in temperature in the United States, Cities such as New York, Honolulu, Phoenix, San Diego, Orlando, Miami, Washington, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Detroit, Houston, Chicago, Seattle, Austin and Dallas will all disappear. So the question is, where the hell will all these people go? So when the people who are denying today's refugees come to us for help, maybe we just should tell them to fuck off. Go fend for yourself. Solve your own problems. You know, this isn't just an academic issue. 
Many countries, like, for example, Bangladesh, face the very real possibility of vanishing altogether in the near future. With a four-degree increase in global temperature, almost ten times the entire population of the United States will be displaced, suddenly cast adrift with no home to return to. So where would they go, particularly as many governments and short-sighted individuals like Trump are already building walls to keep people out? With such an incredible number of people suddenly made homeless, discussions on refugees could start to get very ugly. Ugly <laughs> could start to get very ugly, indeed. <laughs> so keep this in mind when the keep people out isolationists wave their banners in your face. They'll just tell you that probably that it's God's will, or some other equally incredulous justification. Now, as I mentioned last week. That's my rant for today. <laughs> As I mentioned last week, my new website went up. And uh, thank you very much for all those that have told me what their thoughts are. 99% positive. So I'd love you to check it out and just give me your feedback. Simply go to bobpritchard.com. Give it a test drive. I really want to know what you think, whether you love it or hate it. I don't care. Just let me know. And try to be constructive. Just don't say, Bob, I hate the website and I hate you as well. Just um, tell me why if you don't like me or it. Now, I'd like to finish off this segment by saluting two high schoolers who have designed huts for the homeless that cost less than a 1000 bucks each, and they look fantastic. They really do look great. And uh, as the final project for one of their classes, two high school students in Stockton, California, created a low-cost micro-home that could be used to shelter the homeless. I love entrepreneurs. This show's all about entrepreneurs, and these two kids are really entrepreneurial. But unlike most school projects, they didn't only just turn in their assignments and forget about it. This was actually only the first step. Norris Palmer and Austin Ortega, who are now seniors in the Engineering and Construction Academy at Lincoln High School, completed the first prototype of what they call the Habitable Urban Tent, H-U-T, only about two weeks ago. The hut, Habitable, habitable Urban Tent, measures eight feet in all directions and it's designed to be cheap to manufacture, easy to ship and simple to assemble without additional tools. You just put it together. And the prototype that Palmer and Ortega unveiled to their school features metal panels and a wooden frame, but future units will be made of high-density polyethylene plastic. As I said, they really look fantastic. Have a look up. I haven't looked it up on them on Google, but have a look up Habitable Urban, Habitable Urban Tent, H-U-T, and have a look, see if it's there and see what it looks like. It's a pyramid shape which sort of cuts the surface area down, which means less material, and the primary use for the hut is sleeping and privacy. So they narrowed down the interactions, the things you can do in this thing, to 
walking to the cot in the rear, the bed, and standing up. Now, each hut unit is insulated between the structure's frame and the outer panels. It comes with a bed and it's carpeted, as well as a built-in sliding window for ventilation. I'm so excited about this. It's so cool. And, it's you know, I think about Skid Row in, in Los Angeles. Instead of all those horrible tents and the cardboard boxes and the plastic sheeting, you have a whole row of these things and they would look fabulous. Now, the, the structure's advantage lies in its ability to be assembled almost anywhere and it costs about a grand. Now, this, this could have a fantastic impact on the issue of homelessness in our community, which is a growing problem. Ortega and Palmer's invention is an absolute inspiration, I reckon. So they're currently looking for investors to help fund the costs of designing, improving the design and building their next model. So I want to say, mate, that is a fantastic effort, guys. Brilliant. And I hope that your um, engineering instructor gave you an A-plus or a perfect score or whatever it is because it's really a brilliant idea. It looks brilliant inside and out. And uh, I'm really proud of you guys. The world needs entrepreneurs. Now, if you're a regular listener to the program, you know that I was um, recently appointed the Honorary President of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management and that's the premier organisation for people in business in the US. So if you're serious about improving your skill level, want to up your status, want to meet a hell of a lot more people, if you have a problem, just get in touch with them, send them an email and you'll get a highly detailed answer back which solves your issues, you should join it today. And if you'd like to join, it's really simple. You simply go to AISMM.us. And it's like a buck and a quarter a day. I mean, it's really unbelievably cheap. A buck and a quarter for instant advice, build your network, have access to all sorts of information and technology, and it, it's really brilliant. If you love the theatre, like I do, don't forget that the extraordinary season of the Australian Theatre Company at the Matrix Theatre in Melrose in Los Angeles begins in about a week with two incredible plays and two fantastic casts. Now, we all know that the Aussies produce fantastic actors and fantastic production people. You just look at the talent that's in LA. It's incredible. And uh, the Australian Theatre Company is putting on, putting on two incredible plays, Speaking in Tongues and Reuben Guthrie. And uh, the casts in these two plays is Australia's finest. It is phenomenal. Now, Speaking in Tongues opens on Monday, June 6 at 8pm. Now, that's next Monday at 8pm. And Reuben Guthrie opens on Tuesday, June 7 at 8pm. Now, I've got a real special deal for Bob Pritchard Radio Show listeners. If you go to australiantheatrecompany.com, that's Australian 
theatrecompany.com. And remember that theatre is with an R-E instead of an E-R. So that's old, old spell bit of it. Australian Theatre, T-H-E-A-T-R-E, company.com. Select the night you want to go. Now, you should go to both because they're both brilliant. You enter the code M-A-T-E-20, that's MATE20, at the checkout. And you get your tickets for just 20 bucks. Now, I think they're normally 37.50. So go to australiantheatrecompany.com, pick the night you want to go, and you're robbing yourself if you don't go to both. Enter the code when you go to the checkout, enter the code MATE, M-A-T-E, 20, and you get your tickets for just 20 bucks. So for a sensational night out, do yourself a favour and go down and see some of the best actors and two wonderful, fabulous plays at the Matrix Theatre, which is down on Melrose. Now, today's interview is with one of the world's best blackjack players. In fact, he's in the Blackjack Hall of Fame. But he was also arrested for laundering drug money. He was put in a halfway house for three months. Now, that's not a bad story, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Daryl Purpose played with Santana and Bonnie Raitt at the first ever outdoor stadium concert in the former Soviet Union. He co-founded the Second Strings Charity Project. He's been chased around Moscow by the Russian Mafia. He's been threatened in Seoul by the Yakuza and he walked across the United States for peace. And his seventh and newest recording is entitled Still the Birds and it's just been released. He's one hell of a guy, this guy. He's a lovely guy. He lives up in the middle of nowhere. We'll talk about that. And I will be back with Daryl Purpose immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. 
This is where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting people and across all sorts of industries, all, all sorts of businesses. And uh, as you know, we normally we're talking about technology and um, media. Today we're talking about, well, directly and indirectly, entertainment. And uh, we try to find out why these people are successful and what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to um, have a successful business, no matter what it is. And uh, the entertainment business is absolutely no exception to that. 99% of all businesses fail today. And I think you could argue that 99% of all um, entertainers that start off end up failing one way or another. And I, I was an entertainer and trod the boards for 20-odd years and then decided to give up because it's just too hard to make a solid, regular living. So um, that's why it's important to listen to interviews like today and uh, to pick up the tips from people who have done it and been successful. Now, how many musicians can start out with a story that says, I left home as a teenager and became a professional gambler. Now, that's quite a stretch. I don't, I've never met anybody in my life who comes out of school or whatever and says, ha, huh, I want to be a professional gambler. That seems like an awfully hard way to make a dollar. But one guy has really succeeded at this. Daryl Purpose, he's, he's not only been successful as a gambler, He's been enormously successful as an entertainer. So um, let me just run through. This is an extraordinary story. I mean, it's a fucking Hollywood movie, this. This is great. I love it. Daryl's one of the world's best blackjack players, and he's in the Blackjack Hall of Fame. But being a gambler and indirectly led him to also be an internationally recognised singer and songwriter, and he's racked up tens of thousands of miles for the sake of his music and his seventh and newest recording Still the Birds has just been released now Daryl played with Santana and Bonnie Raitt at the first ever outdoor stadium concert in the former Soviet Union and co-founded the Second Strings Project an organisation that has delivered over 20,000 sets of strings to musicians around the world but here it gets interesting. Daryl's been chased around Moscow by the Russian mafia, threatened in Seoul by the Yakuza, and walked across the United States for peace. Now, there's, there's three varying um, achievements, if you like. Um, I don't know why, I guess we'll find out shortly, why um, all these sort of gang organisations are trying to get this guy, but we'll find that out. So how did it start? Well, many years ago, Daryl was arrested for laundering drug money and he was put in a halfway house for three months. In that three months, he got himself a record deal and an agent and started touring nationally. He's now a professional songwriter and musician. And he says that his brush with the criminal justice system led to his career. So he started off playing for tips, sleeping in his truck, just like every other musician and basically getting his music out there any way he could. By 2004, and about 1,500 shows later, he'd played many of the top venues in North America and Europe and had released six CDs 
that all did well on folk radio. Then in 2004, this is where it gets interesting, he won a couple of million dollars playing blackjack. I <laughs> love it. And bought a house in his favourite place in the world, Nederland, Colorado, and he still lives there. You know, most musicians, um, when you think about musicians, they um, they struggle and struggle and struggle. It's nice to have a sort of second job where you go out and pick up a couple of million bucks, wouldn't it? I might take it up. Maybe you can teach me something. Hi, Daryl. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. Hi, Bob. Thanks for that fantastic introduction. Well, thanks for having such an unbelievable career. Um, <laughs> there's at least a book in that. There's got to be a movie. I mean, it is, it's really quite something. Well, you know, I've always uh, tried to live my life for the story, so I had something to say, something interesting to do, and something to, you know, feed the muse, uh, songwriting in particular, yeah. I feel like you have to live on the edge in order to have something to write about. Well, being chased around Moscow by the Russian mafia, I mean, that doesn't sound like a song, but it sounds like certainly an interesting piece of life. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's it's not something I picked, Yeah. but, uh, you know, I didn't choose to be followed around, chased around Moscow by the Russian mafia, but... You know, when you're gambling and when you're gambling in foreign countries where it's a little bit wild west as it was in the early 90s in Russia. Yeah. Um, um, you know, things like that, things like that just kind of happen. <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's go back to the start. Let's hear more about the um, laundering money bust. I mean, um, well, well I, yeah, I never actually laundered drug money. It was... Um, a friend of mine, I'd been a professional uh, blackjack player for about uh, close to 10 years at that point. And a friend of mine um, who was part of the only bankroll that we had ever lost on asked me for a favor. I felt like I owed him a favor and I didn't have good um, you know, boundaries with the law. So um, for him, I walked into a bank and cashed a check for a large amount of money, about a hundred thousand um, dollars, with a fake ID, uh, and uh, and then I and then I did it again. <laughs> oh, you're a quick learner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after doing it twice, I thought, you know what, uh, you know, and I wasn't even doing it. You know, one of the things that kind of saved me from getting in a lot more trouble is that I wasn't even actually being paid any money for this. I was just doing a favor for a friend. I mean, I didn't know what the money was, you know, and it, it turned out it was all a sting. So it was not actually drug money. And, you know, I never knew anything about the money or what it was, but, um, basically, um, yeah, I got into kind of big trouble with that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. A, was not a bright thing to do, you know. And I'm. I'm not familiar with the criminal justice system. Like I don't know what's going on with that. And I. I get arrested. Um, we're going to release it, and and they arrested me on a Friday and put me in a holding tank for the weekend. And they do that. They make you think about uh, what you've done. And I was looking at 18 years. I was looking at 18 years. The federal mandatory minimum sentencing. Wow. for something like that and uh it was pretty scary you know it was pretty scary and uh i, I remember my uh 
stories from the CD release party, which of course I was not at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, they got up, you know, they didn't know what to say, right? They so they got up with the microphone, and somebody announced, uh, "Well, there's been a family emergency. You know, Daryl can't be here tonight, but we're going to celebrate." And I remember one of my friends, uh, Severin Brown talking about how he looked around the room and all my family was there and, you know, so so like what family emergency was this right yeah and um and uh you know the story goes that um not knowing what to expect i i ended up um uh getting sentenced to three months in a halfway house instead of the 18 years they kind of figured out i wasn't a big time money launder i was just a guy who was Porn. Comfortable with a lot of money and comfortable with fake IDs because I'd use them for gambling, yeah. you know, not not illegally. So um, they figured that out and they changed the charge against me, and I only got three months in a halfway house. And so I show up at this place, right, yeah. um, with with my little suitcase and not really familiar with how this goes and what this is going to be about. It was in the real uh, uh, kind of rundown area, East Hollywood, right, and. And um, I go to my intake meeting where they tell me what's going to go on for the next three months. And she says, well, you know, this is a work release program. If you have a job, you can go home during the day. Right. And, of course, I never had a job in my life. Yeah. But I thought quickly and I had a copy of that CD that I had made. And I pulled it out and I sat it on the desk and I said, I'm a national touring singer-songwriter. I'll have to go home every day. And work on my career. Right. Now, at this point in my life, I'd only done the open mics, you know, and yep. little few showcases around Los Angeles. I hadn't done hardly anything musically, but she said, okay. And it was that simple. And and so those that entire three months, I left in the morning. I went to my house in Venice Beach, and I actually got on the computer and created retroactively created a career for myself. I found a, a record label. I found a booking agent. And I did my first tour when I was still incarcerated in the, in the halfway house. <laughs> you know, they let you travel to work. So that's what created a career for me in music. And I took, I took it from there. And um, 10 years later, I had a nice uh, career going and made my living playing music and yeah, it was a beautiful thing, and I've sort of I've sort of balanced the two lives uh, for a long time now. You know, I I do some gambling, I do some music, and um, sometimes it gets confusing, but <laughs> that's my life. Yeah, well, you know, lots of entertainers. I'm living, you know, I live in West Hollywood, and we know lots and lots and lots of entertainment people, and usually they've got second jobs. You know, they're parking lot attendants and their waiters and their all that sort of thing. But um, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who says, um, well, you know, I, I get work, but in my spare time, I just go and pick up an extra million or two at the blackjack table. I've never heard that before. Well, that sounds, that makes it sound a little easier than it is, you know. It's not quite like that, you know, but but it's, it, it is true that like in about 2004, um there was an opportunity uh, online, and uh, I, you know, I, I sit up the place I was living in Colorado Springs didn't really didn't even have internet, so I'd go to the Starbucks, and um, I hadn't gambled in 
about 10 years, right. really. And uh, But I went to the Starbucks. I heard about this online thing, and I started poking around. Could make a little extra money. Maybe I could make a 1000 here, a thousand there, and I started poking around, and and it grew into something really big. And pretty soon, I had, I was at this Starbucks with with uh, three computers open, and uh, I won a million dollars in that Starbucks. <laughs> uh, gambling online. They'll buy you a fucking hell of a lot of coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, at the point I started, uh, this is a true story. At the point I started. I'd been making my living in music for quite a while, and I didn't have any extra money. And I remember, I thought, you know, I'm going to be spending all day here. And, uh, you know, I'm a nice guy. I tip pretty big. But I just thought, you know, I'm just going to try to save money. I remember not tipping in the beginning right. of, that, of that. You know, I just got my coffee, went and sat at my table. And, uh, you know, it, it was tough. So um, I just didn't tip. And. A million dollars later, I, I had started tipping again. <laughs> you, left, you left the change from the five, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly. Now, people say that you sound like James Taylor. Does that bother you? In a, in a few years, hopefully, people will say, you know, that James Taylor sounds a lot like that bloody Daryl Purpose, doesn't it? Well, that's funny you would say that because that's been my kind of line uh, when I hear that. Yeah. I don't really hear the similarity, but I assume it's true because everybody says it. Yeah. And um, I always say, you know, no, it doesn't bother me that he sounds so much like me. And <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I say, right? Yeah. And then, um, I don't know if you've seen, but we got an Associated Press review of this new album. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Wine, um, you know, is printed in the Washington Post and ABC News. A big deal. And w the last sentence of the review says... Um, if you know, if Purpose keeps this up, people will be saying that James Taylor sounds like Daryl Purpose. Yeah, and it's, it's it's in the review that just happened like five days ago or something like that. Well, you can't ask for much better than that, can you? No, you really <laughs> I mean, can't. That cool is you know the the, the the yeah the press has just loved this uh, CD, which is really gratifying. So it's it's called Still the Birds, and it's just been released. Now it's been three years since you. Your last um, recording. Why is it taking you three years to get around to doing another one? What's oh man, it's it's a big project, you know. Seventh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big project. I mean, the, the more interesting story is how come it took me um, seven years in between the last one and the one before that, you know? And I had actually uh, found my way to Netherland, uh, Colorado. I had bought a house there, and I started. Uh, getting healthy and I started being happy staying at home after 10 years of, of being on the road and yeah, that's how and, yeah. Um, yeah. Really um, and I was waiting for the music to call me back you know but <laughs> but uh, and it finally did you know I, I didn't think it would take that long but it finally did call me back so in your new environment I guess it's very rural I assume that it's very rural and and um, extremely peaceful, not not a freeway past your front door like they're doing Hollywood. Um, is that um, conducive to writing songs, or do you need the buzz and the hubbub of, of sort of city life and all that emotion and angst and whatever goes with living in the city to, to give you inspiration? Yeah, well, I would say that um, 
all of the above works, and I think that um, I definitely require stimulation, but you can get that stimulation from a mountain stream, or you can get that stimulation from the boardwalk on Venice Beach, sure. you know? Um, for me, uh, you know, I, I, I take, I put all that stuff together and get songs from all of it. Life is rich, you know, there's just sure. so much to draw from. So how long did it take you to, um, to write Still the Birds? Paul Zolo, my co-writer, and I wrote that in about a year's time. Where did you record it? We recorded it uh, in, at Wim- in Wimberley, Texas, at Blue Rock Studios, uh, produced by Billy Crockett. He produced my last record also next time around. And uh, Bill- Billy kind of uh, influenced me to get back to music. It was meeting him uh, that made me uh, step back into it after seven years of putting my guitar down. That was like 2013, I think, that we put out that record next time around. And um, they, they've got a, uh, the Crockett's have a five-star artist retreat and recording studio down there. They're very serious about what they do. And and Billy makes records sound great. And, and uh, he's, he's responsible for how these last two records came out. Do you have a recording studio in your house? No, I don't do any of that. You know, I, I, it's one of those things where I know a lot of artists do, and I know you can do a lot, but I, there's some things I just leave to the professionals. So I can, you know, yeah. and uh, the recording part of it is, is one of those things. So, you, know, yeah. you just leave, to, leave it to people that are really good at it, you know, and Billy gets the best uh, players. And, you know, we had Roscoe Beck on bass this time, and, uh, Eric Darkin on percussion and uh, some of my favorite under the radar singers uh, are singing backup on the record and and you know and all of this is kind of out of my hands. Yeah, sure. So you're back on the road. Yeah, I'm in Venice right now, and we're gonna we're gonna do some shows out here in California, and um, uh, you know we're gonna do a few shows here and there, and just see. See what happens uh, with the record. You know, I'm not interested in driving 500 miles and, you know, playing for tips and sleeping in my truck anymore. Yeah, sure. So, <laughs> so we're, get, we're, we're, we're getting this great press, and we're just going to see if that's going to put butts in seats. And, and uh, you know, there's nothing I like more than, uh, you know, an, a, a listening audience and a connection from sharing the songs. And, um you know, can't, don't really know yet whether I'm going to put a lot of effort into that or, or not for this record. The, this program goes out to a large number of people and um, a lot of entrepreneurs and um, business people listen to the show. What, um, and being a musician is not much different you know, you start from zero and you build a career. It's not much different than having a business, uh, starting a business and trying to... What are the major challenges that you've faced? I mean, apart from being chased by the fucking mafia. What, what, are, the ma- <laughs> what are the major challenges that you've faced on this journey of yours? Yeah, I guess I don't think of it in terms of uh, 
the challenge is, you know, I think of it in terms of putting one foot in front of the other. Well, this is what I want to do. How can I make this happen? And, you know, people whine about the music business. Oh, it's changing. Yeah. You know, it's well, everything's changing, That's you know, right. and, yeah. uh, you know, um, you just got to take a look at what's out there and see if there's a path for you that in- includes you being able to do what you want to do and make the money to support yourself while you're doing it. And, you know, I, I just follow my muse and follow um, my my nose in terms of what I think would work. Yeah. And and I've been able to <clears throat> do pretty good in my life that, that way. So what about um, perseverance? You, you, you certainly need to believe in what you want to achieve and be able to persevere and keep at it, don't you? But at what point do you say shit, this isn't working for you, I'm going to do something different. For example, that seven-year well, break or whatever it was. What, what brought that about? Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I think that you you, you do have – I think partly that was about me wanting to be in one place and get healthy and find out who I was without the music and whether whether I mattered even without the music and, and – um, you know, so I, I was I did a lot of meditating, I did a lot of hiking, and I did a lot of biking, and um, just stayed active and healthy, and and um, it was a really uh, good time for me. I mean, for me, it's like you talk about perseverance, and that comes pretty naturally for me. So I don't know that I can explain it. You know, I you know what I mean? Like yeah, I do that so I do that so naturally. I I don't really even know how to how to how to talk about it. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting to me is, is to remove limits. Like a lot of people, they just sure. don't think that that could happen. Like, sure. like, could you have a career? Could I start, could I write songs on my guitar and play them for people and pay their rent that way? Like when you're not uh, a musician and you haven't done it, that's a huge leap, I would think. Yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah, and so, but somehow I, I just don't have those limits, you know. So I did that. Could can you, you go to Vegas and uh, start gambling in the casino and become one of the best blackjack players in the world and make a living at it? Could you do that? I mean, I think that would be a huge leap too. But I just never it never occurred to me that I couldn't do it, and um, you know, so you know, and now I'm one of you know, 17 or 18 people on the Blackjack Hall of Fame. So, you know, most people, it's a, it's a, one of the things that's amazing to me is this fear of failure, uh, of, sorry, fear of success. I was a part owner of a professional football team a few years ago, and um, we used to always get to the last 10 minutes of the game and we'd be in front, and then all of a sudden the wheels would fall off and we'd lose. And <laughs> somehow the team felt comfortable when they lost, they didn't feel comfortable when they win. And a lot of people have this fear of success. They really sabotage their own um, progress because they're afraid of what happens if they succeed. I, I don't, it's not something I can wrap my mind around. So how do you, how do you sort of get the guts or is it just, it really is just a natural thing to say, okay, you know, I'm going to sit down with a whole bunch of people I don't know and I'll play them at blackjack and see if I can win. Or I'm going to walk out on this stage and play my music and I have enough, I have enough confidence to know that, you know, they're not going to throw things at me. How do you, 
how, how do you make that leap? You know what I mean? Well, I think that, uh, you know, what you're leaving out in that description, uh, the idea of preparation. And, you know, I don't just walk into a casino and play blackjack and hope I win. I've, I've, I've prepared a lot. I've practiced, practiced, practiced. I know exactly what I'm going to do in every situation. There's no guesswork involved. And, uh, you know, so preparation is, is really important. You know, the same thing with music. You know, it starts from just practicing scales and, yeah. and uh, practicing finger picking and getting good at playing the guitar and taking voice lessons and trying to get better at singing. And, and, sure. and uh, you know, at the same time, just trying to keep it real so that you can connect with people. Yeah. The, um, One of the things that we that the Bob Pritchard show really love are people who give back to society. You know, we, we love successful people who give back. Tell us about the Second Strings Project. Well, that was a crazy thing that came about um, with my friend Kevin Dean. You know, I was being a singer-songwriter uh, traveling around with other singer-songwriters and we would change our strings like maybe every show, sometimes every two shows and then we'd throw the strings away and I always noticed that and thought you know, these, these strings seem pretty good you know, to be throwing them away and then my friend Kevin Deem who I met on the Great Peace March um, he had a thing where he would travel to third world countries and he worked for a hospital so we would always he would always bring a bag of used medical gear that couldn't be reused in the United States, but could really be used in some third world countries, you know? Yep. And so he would take that there. And we just had this idea, well, why don't we do that with strings? And so basically I told people about, uh, that they, that they should send their strings to us and Kevin took them overseas and we've had other people that have taken them overseas and we've collected and dispersed, uh, quite a collection, you know, quite a, quite a large number of, of strings, you know, and I try to give back in other ways too. You know, I, um, try trying to make the world a better place, I think is, um, well, I don't know. It's just a natural thing for me. And it's yeah. a, it's a way of, um, recognizing that, uh, my life has gone pretty damn well, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, I can share that, you know, with others in so many ways. You know, we've created this uh, Camp Ned in um, uh, every every summer, the third week of July. We have a songwriting retreat up in the Rocky Mountains, where I live in Netherland, and and um, you know, we have scholarships for people, and uh, we've just had a we've had a great time with that. I just had so much uh, so much fun, and people always seem to leave it with. Um, you know, the sense that their life has been changed. And, you know, so there's many ways I think you can can give back. And that's an important part of who I am, I think. Unfortunately, too few people have that view. Too few people are too busy accumulating and not enough time giving. Um, well, what's next for you? Well, we're working on this record. Um, we're working on Camp Ned for 2016. Um, I have a relationship with my, uh, my daughter, 
that uh, we are working on some some things to help her. I just toured her college in uh, Denver, and she's uh, studying hospitality. And we have some ideas for some business things that she can be in charge of, and I'm excited by that. And you know, just try to stay vital. You know, try to stay active. Uh, try to have fun, a little fun every day, and uh, do something meaningful every day. And uh, hello. Pro- Probably more. I'm sorry, Bob. Um, right. Something something happened on my end, but you know, probably probably more music uh, is in my future, and uh, I, I'm excited. Always excited about that. Maybe I'll investigate my co-writing uh, experience with pa- Paul Zolo some more. He's a remarkable guy, and and we've had a remarkable time writing these songs. And then, um, uh, you know, or maybe I'll start. Maybe I'll write a few on my own for the next record. I don't know. Life is good. Life is really full. I'm not not too worried about not having anything to do, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have a desire to be the next James Taylor? Or are you just happy going along and making your music and satisfying other people's interest in it? Yeah, I would say that I don't have any particular expectations about it, but I also have no limits. And certainly, uh, you know, I don't I don't really think about it in those terms. Well, do you want this much success or do you want 10 times that much success? Or do you want 100 times that much success? Uh, you know, I just take it as it comes, but no limits, you know. If, uh, yeah, sure, since you asked, I don't think about it this way, but yeah, I'd, li- I'd love to win a Grammy. I'd, I'd, I'd love for lots and lots of people to hear my music and be moved by it. And uh, hopefully the world will be a little better place. Certainly my world would be a little, would be a little better. <laughs> yeah. Well, you sound like, you sound like you got it all together and you can, you know, you can always fall back on that, um, on that blackjack. That's exactly right. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, you've had a fantastic career, and um, it's, it's really varied and interesting. And um, are you working on a book? Um, you know, we're thinking about writing a book. Uh, Paul Zolo uh, is also an author, and he's thinking about uh, kind of – we're thinking about writing a book together about my life. Yeah, I think it's – But, you know, here's the thing, Bob. I, I You know, for every hundred things that – happened to me for every one thing i remember there's like 99 things i i've forgotten yeah although if you sit down i've i've had several books and things and if you sit down and um just dictate it all out and then read it through and then dictate some more and then read it through and then dictate some more it's amazing what comes back to you and often um when you do it that way the stuff that you remember is much more exciting than it actually was so it makes a better book <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or, or do you make up stuff? And uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I think sometimes when you write a book like that, you have to be able to connect one thing to the other thing, and you don't always remember the exact um, uh, conversation led led to it. So I think you can recreate it in an authentic way. So maybe maybe something like that is in our future. There was a there was a uh, script. A movie script written about my life. It was called Right Side of Zero, and I think, I think if you searched online, you could still find it. But it was uh, very close to being made. It was competing against the the movie Twenty One. There right. were not going to be there were not going to be two blackjack movies. So the movie Twenty One is what got made. Um, 
But I think you could find that online if you if you search for it. Okay. <laughs> Daryl, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you My pleasure. If you'd My like pleasure, to know Bob. more about Daryl Purpose, go to Daryl Purpose, D-R-D-A-R-R-Y-L-P-U-R-P-O-S-E dot com, DarylPurpose.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs and we're broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. A Goldman Sachs this week put out an 88-page report stating five practical uses for blockchain. If you're not familiar with blockchain, um, at a time when companies face new challenges in data management and security, blockchain is a way to let companies make and verify transactions on a network instantaneously without any central authority. And more and more large institutions, I think something like 40 top financial institutions are now um, experimenting with with blockchain. I guess the best... Known examples of blockchain are probably Bitcoin and Ethereum. Today, one Bitcoin is worth 550 bucks or so, and one Ethereum is worth about $14. And Goldman declared last December that blockchain technology can change absolutely everything. And they, in financial transactions, blockchain eliminates the need for costly middlemen and it also presents plenty of other opportunities and new ways of record-keeping and decentralising markets. So they looked at the sharing economy and they said blockchain can build trust on platforms like Airbnb because you can store people's online identities and reviews and scores and all that information, but it cannot be deleted and you can't sort of get a bad rap and then re-register as something else um, because blockchain can't be tampered with or duplicated. Your identity is your identity. Think what it would do for Airbnb. Um, so um, people wouldn't be worried about the safety and security by guests and the host wouldn't worry about property damage. And that's, that's a $9 billion industry. The second market that can benefit from blockchain is the electricity market with the event of rooftop solar and high-capacity battery technology. Um, Goldman envisages a totally secured distributed network built on blockchain's identifying technology that lets people generate their own electricity to sell on the network to strangers. And the fact that all transactions are signed off by the network means you 
can't get screwed over by a customer who goes back and says they didn't buy from you. It's right there in the blockchain records. And that market is worth $7 billion. The third market that can benefit from blockchain is the property market, where it can cut administration costs by keeping all records so that prospective buyers can quickly, easily and very cheaply verify that the owner of the house really does own the place. And uh, Goldman says that homeowners buying or refinancing properties are subject to significant transaction costs, including title insurance. Um, and, you know, the title search process is um, labour-intensive. So along with business process changes, blockchain, blockchain could reduce title insurance premiums and this could lead to $4 billion reduction in savings. And the securities market can benefit by removing errors and reducing costs. Up to 10% of trades are subject to errors, leading to manual intervention and extending the time required to settle trades. So by applying blockchain to the clearing and settlement of cash securities, Goldman estimates that the industry could save $12 billion in fees. And finance is the fifth market that they looked at, and uh, they say it can benefit from blockchain technology by improving anti-money laundering and know your customer checks. Goldman envisaged identity data stored on a blockchain could keep finance firms easily and quickly they could check new customers as part of a know your customer regulation, a bit like a digital passport. So storing account and payment information in a blockchain could standardise the data required for an account, therefore improving data quality and reducing number of falsely identified suspicious transactions. This tamper-proof record could also ease the process of getting to know a client and demonstrating compliance with AML regulations resulting in a saving of about $5 billion. So just those five industry examples alone could result in about $40 billion a year in cost savings and benefits. That's a hell of a lot. Now, yesterday I launched my new website and uh, I look forward to your feedback. Give it to me straight. Simply go to bobpritchard.com. Now, if you're not living on the edge, if you're not taking risks, if you're not pushing the envelope as hard as you can, if you're not going out there and kicking hell out of the world, then you're taking up too much space. Get out of the way and let somebody who wants to succeed go past this is Bob Pritchard and look forward to your company again next week. I again broadcast from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.